0: Good morning. Almost afternoon always trips me up. You know when the day's a little different. I finally I had a chance to meet. you. My name's Joe. One of the pastors here. This is uh, I wasn't here last week, and so this is my uh, this is my first Sunday back. Uh, anyone else first time out here for our worship? Not a few of you. We're all in this together, friends. Twenty twenty. You know, I don't know what to do with it, and uh, it just gets weirder. So. I don't know if that's proper grammar, but that's what it is. We are in a series, though, in Genesis. We started this uh, sort of mid-pandemic, uh, and uh, the thought being what would it would look like for us to just kind of go back to the basics, back to the beginning, uh, sit with um, sort of the first story of God and work our way through um, and see where that takes us. Because uh, so many things, uh, just we're just back to the basics, aren't we, in, in life? We've just like, all the things we've used to distract ourselves from all of the things that we didn't want to deal with, we have to deal with now because we're just, life is so... Basic. So we go to Genesis. So we start studying through Genesis, and now we're we're in a, a mini series as part of that called Father Abraham. And we're spending September just with the person of Abraham, and then next month we'll spend some time with Isaac and Jacob, and then in November we'll spend some time with Joseph, who's uh, I've always had a close affinity to for a variety of reasons. So, uh, but today we're going to spend some time with Father Abraham. We're going to look at a story of Abraham, and uh, I'm excited what God might do. Uh, last week, if you missed it, I wasn't here, so I just we did a podcast, but uh, you didn't. We didn't offer it live, Uh, but we looked at Abraham's call and what Abraham, what it looked like for God to call Abraham. And so today we're going to pick up in chapter 15 um, uh, and uh, 15, once again, kind of rehashes um, the covenant that God uh, offered to Abraham as part of Abraham's call. And, uh, and it reminds Abraham a few times. So in chapter 12 is Abraham's call. And then in chapter 15, God says it again, talks about it again. And then later in chapter 17, God talks about Abraham's call and God's covenant with Abraham and God's promises to Abraham again. And each time God kind of expands it. But in chapter 17, we're going to get there in a little bit, God adds this physical sign to the covenant. And God loves offering physical signs to promises, because God's promises are so ethereal, you know, they're so abstract. And so God gives us these signs, these things that we can taste and feel because we're humans and that's what we need. So Noah gets a rainbow. He can see it in the sky. It's beautiful. Um, Moses gets a variety of signs from the burning bush to the, the plagues are part of the sign. And and, and 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 even with the people, the Passover begins, this, begins to be part of a sign. Um, well, Abraham's going to get a physical sign as well, and that'll be in chapter 17. But before he does, something else happens. And that's the story we're going to look at today. So 15 is God's covenant with Abraham. 17, he reiterates it and adds a physical sign. But chapter 16 is something else. And that's the story we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or it is on your handout or on the website if you want to go to centralcity.co slash outdoor. I think this is an extremely important story because the story, Genesis chapter 16, is what it looks like to believe in God's promises, to believe them, but just enough to do something stupid about it. Okay, and it's possible to believe in God's promises, but just enough to be really stupid, and to get it completely wrong. As you'll see, one of the things, one of the worst things from uh, not believing in God's promises is believing in God's promises not quite enough, and you end up doing something rather stupid. So here's what it looks like. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. You can follow along. Here's what it says. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, That's the promise. That was what Abraham was promised to have a child and he'd be a father of a great nation. Father Abraham, many sons. I'm one of them. So are you. So, but Sarah, Abram's wife had borne him, no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah Uh, his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived and friends, welcome to the messed up world of patriarch families of Genesis. And this is like a fairly mild story compared to a lot of other things that happen in Genesis, Sarah and Abraham. They believe God's promises that they're going to have a son and to be a father of a great nation. But they also assume that the only way for that promise to come true is if they take matters into their own hands. They believe in God's promises just enough to really hurt someone. Let me repeat that. They believe in God's promises just enough to really hurt someone. The story here, if you continue and we will, uh, shifts to Hagar. She's a victim of Abraham, of Abram and Sarai, uh, and we'll look at her response soon and what God has to say uh, to her. But first we need to sit with this, because one of the secrets to toxic religion is when people believe in God just enough to do something stupid with it, but not enough to truly be faithful to God. The worst thing that a person of faith can do is try to force or enforce one of God's promises. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is try to force or enforce one of God's promises. God promises Abraham he would have a son. That's now on God. They didn't need to force Hagar to sleep with Abraham to make it happen. They, they believed in God's promise, but not enough to trust God and would make it happen on their, on, on God's terms. So when, they, when when you hold on to just enough of God's promise to justify whatever you want, there's just nothing worse that can happen for people of faith. So And this happens a lot in a lot of ways. Consider some of God's promises to us. Beautiful promises, but as soon as you try to force them, they become the crux of what I consider toxic religion. We can believe that God is going to supply all of our needs. Friends, that is a promise that scripture makes. It's a promise worth believing. God is going to take care of you. God is going to supply all of your needs. We can believe that, but also when we don't see it happening, we can be motivated to lie, steal, or cheat to try to make it happen because we know God wants us to have it. God wants us to take care of all our needs, So I got to do whatever it takes to make God's promises happen. We can believe that God has made us special and that we are loved by God. We can believe that just enough that when we no longer feel like we're special and no longer feel like we're loved, we can ridicule or make fun of other people or put others down trying to convince ourselves that it's the opposite for us. We can believe that God has blessed us and we can believe that God has blessed us so much that we can justify not blessing other people. We can hoard and we can cling and because we, cause we believe that God wants us to be happy. So hear me when I say God wants to supply all of your needs and God wants you to know that you are loved and that you're special and God has blessed you. All of those things are true, but if we truly believe that we would receive it and we would trust it, we wouldn't try to force it or enforce it or exploit it. So Abraham and Sarah believed the promise just enough to take into their own hands. And Abraham sleeps with uh, his wife, Sarah. And the worst part is this is not an unusual story throughout history, uh, but terrible um, uh, and horrible all the same. And, And all because they believed God, but not enough to trust God. Or wait for God. And after this chapter, God reminds them again of this promise. And God adds the physical sign. As if to, to say, hey, Abraham and Sarah, you got to remember, I'm going to take care of this. This is my thing. And, and when God tells Abraham, he's going to give him a sign to help him remember the promise. I wonder if Abraham's like, you know, oh, a sign. This is going to be great. Like, like, no, in the flood, you know, like a rainbow. And, and God's like, yeah, yeah, something like a rainbow. And, and Abraham's all excited. And God's like, okay, you and every male is going to be circumcised. And Abraham's like, Circumcised? Yeah, you know, just it's gotta be cut off. So like nothing like a rainbow. Of all the promises, this is by far the most intense. Now maybe it's placement right after the story of Hagar is coincidental. I'll let you decide. Here's what happens to Hagar. I want to turn the story to not from the oppressor to the oppressed. Here's what we know for sure. What Abraham and Sarai did to Hagar hurt her and hurt her deeply. And they didn't stop there. If you skip to verse six, it clearly says, Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. She runs away. She's abused. And then she runs away. Good for her. But her story isn't done. Verse 7, it says the angel of the Lord, and, and at this point in Scripture, the angel of the Lord was really kind of codenamed for God and God showing up in a, in a very kind of a physical manifestation. So don't think of like messenger or angel like you would see later in Scripture. It really kind of was God's presence there. Uh, and, 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 and this kind of confirms it in the way that they talk to each other. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that was beside the, the road sure. And he said to Hagar, uh, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where, are you, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Did you notice this? Hagar wasn't running from God could be easy for Hagar to look at Abraham and Sarah and their God who promised them a child and who in turn let their masters sleep with her to have a child and blame it not only on them, but on their God, God, you did this to me. But no, she says, she says it very clearly. She says, God, I'm running. I'm not running from you. I'm running from the people who misused your name to hurt me. And if you've ever been hurt at the hands of people of God, this will be the distinction that can save your faith in God. Even if you've lost faith in God's people, you can still have faith in God. So God speaks to her. And here's what God says. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. God says two things here. First, God sees her. God sees her suffering. He says, I hear, I have heard of your misery. And that's big. If you think you've suffered alone, you haven't. God sees you. God hasn't turned God's face from you. The second thing God says is, and it's bad news for Hagar. She says, you know, it's not going to get easier. Your son is going to be a really tough son. And this is just one of the things that's unfair about life. Great parents can end up with really difficult children. And it's not fair, but that's life. And God makes it clear. In other words, God says, I've I've seen the suffering that you've already experienced, and I also know the suffering you're going to experience. Your life is going to be hard. I see it, and I'm here for it. Both what was and both what will be. Which is why she says in verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar becomes the first person to give God a unique name. Up to this point in Genesis, uh, book of beginnings, this is one of the beginnings where people start calling God more than just Yahweh or El- Elohim. They add phrases to it. The God who is. The God who is the warrior. The God who is the one who sees. She's the one. who get, She gets the name God. She gets get, got kind of re- recorded as the first person who gives God a name. She says, you are the God who sees. El Royai. The God who sees, the God who sees what I'm going through, the God who not only sees me, but who I can see now in my life. Here's the thing. Hagar isn't a main story of Abraham. She's just this chapter, a, a, sort of like a spin-off story. Her son's not going to go on to be the nation of Israel. Uh, we won't follow her lineage down the lines. She's this side character in the book of Genesis. But But God shows up in this side character's life, not because it's necessarily essential to the story of God, but because that's who God is. So if you've ever felt like a side character, the whole world is happening without you and you don't even know how to be a part of it or participate in it or, or your life didn't matter or if you've ever been manipulated or abused by religion or people of faith, if you've been taken advantage of, if, if people of faith have hurt you, if you've ever felt little or unimportant, I need you to hear this. God sees you. God knows of your misery. God feels it. And God hasn't forgotten you. We don't have to be a part of some big story to be a part of God's story. He hasn't forgotten you. God sees you, period. For God is the God who sees. And friends, I know that in the midst of life right now, maybe you're loving it and maybe it's been like the best thing that's ever happened to you. 2020 is going to be marked as your favorite year that's you. We have a mental health fund that we'd love. But for the rest of us, you know, it probably hasn't been great. There's been some challenges. God sees what the challenges have already been. And God knows what challenges lay yet ahead because life isn't over yet. And if life isn't over and there's still challenges, God sees it. You're not alone. You haven't been abandoned. Even if you're sitting in your home and you feel alone, even if this is the first time you've been around other people. You weren't alone before you showed up here. You don't have to try to force it. You don't have to try to trick yourself or trick God into showing up. You don't have to take it into your own hands. Maybe if I read the Bible more or if I do this or that, God will show up in my life. And God, isn't sh- God is already there. You don't have to force it. God promises. When, when Jesus gives the, the, the Great Commission in, in the context of a new covenant where he offers a, the physical bread and juice as a way to touch it and to feel it, When he offers that new covenant and that new promise, he says, go and make disciples. And at the end of that, he says, and lo, I will be with you always, period, hard stop. Don't have to force it. You don't have to trick it. You don't have to convince God. God's already there. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for your presence. We ask that you would continue to speak in and uh, through us. Remind us of your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Help us to be that which you've uh, called us and created us to be. Remind us of our deep love. All of these, whatever promise we cling on to, God, help us to believe it enough that we actually trust and not try to force. Come, Lord Jesus, meet us in these moments. Lord, in this time where life feels chaotic and difficult, Remind us. Remind us of who we are and who you've called us to be. Work in our hearts and our minds. In your name we pray. Amen.